We're talking about having a passion for the Lord. We're talking about the things that we do in our service to God. And I want you to know that passion should be a part of our lives. Now, you know, just as a little side note before we actually begin, that word passion, you probably won't find it in the Bible unless it has a very negative connotation. And it's usually associated with sexual morality. And the only other time it is used as the word passion, and I'm not sure what Bible translation has this, but it's definitely implied in the text, is about the passion or the suffering of Christ. That's the only two ways that you'll see it in the Bible. But of course that word has evolved into what our modern definition is that we have this strong affection, this strong desire for someone or something. And in this case, it's a good thing about our God. So think of that as someone comes into the building and they're going to worship with us. Imagine what they see, because if we were trying to teach them the Scriptures, and we'd say, you know, we do things according to what the Scriptures reveal, at least to the best of our ability in our modern circumstances, Here's what you won't see. You're not going to see various church programs. We might call them such, but you're not seeing anything like a church program in the first century church. All you had were brothers and sisters in Christ who are passionate about teaching people the gospel and building each other up. And there are many that weren't passionate. They became slothful, indifferent, even left the faith. But generally, when you look at the Scriptures and we see all these programs, like that, the band on the stage, or you have all these youth programs that are so exciting, and they got the carnival outside, right after services, got all these kinds of programs that many people, when they come, they're visiting, well, what do you all have over here? Do you all have, like, these things that our children can be involved in? You got all the basketball, baseball, football leagues for your church programs. You've got your gymnasium. Our obvious answer is going to be no. We don't have any of those things. What are they going to see when they don't see that? Because we don't have youth programs. Do our youth get together? Yes. But we don't have these formal, organized programs. Well, what is it that we do have? Well, we don't have celebrities that come in and bend two-inch steel bars and, and, and do their muscles. <laughs> we don't have that. We don't have country star singers coming into the building singing for us. What is it that we have? We don't even have special effects. Can you imagine? Dim the lights, change the coloring, focus on the man. I just saw a video someone had, had forwarded to me, and the speaker is, is actually talking about these, showing his tattoos that I've been there, I'm from the world, I know what it's like. And has the, all these special effects that just gets everything dramatized. We don't have those things here. The most special effects that I've seen since I've been here is letting us know our services are starting to turn off the light, turn it back on. That's it. So if we don't have these things, do you suppose that when some come, they think it's boring? I said the obvious answer is yes. There are some that believe that. You know why I believe that to be the answer? Because I've heard it. Y'all don't do this. Y'all don't do that. Y'all are kind of 
we really? Some might think so. And the thing that I'm wanting us to be aware of is that when visitors come, what is it that they see? There are some that are genuinely seeking for truth. They want to find the Lord's church. They see religion in the name of pressing Christianity, but what is it they see when they come here to worship our Lord? Because they don't see the, the, the piano, the, the guitar, the bass. They don't have the, the rock star type singers in the name of Christianity. They don't see any of those things. What is it that they do see? I'd like to think they see the simplicity of the first century in the church. You know, they might not have pews and they didn't have the lightings like this. They didn't have an overhead. They didn't have a lot of things that we have today, but the overall simplicity of our worship, as we see in Scripture, do they see that? Do they see anything beyond it, though? Because there's a lot of churches that would amen this part right here, the simplicities of the first century, but I'll tell you, I've seen funerals more lively. I've been to funerals more lively than some worship services where we're, we're praising God. But it doesn't sound like it. What we are not desiring to do, brethren, is to put on a show. That's not why we're here, right? We're here to praise our God in song. We're here to lift up our voices in prayers, thanking Him for things. Wonderful blessings. We are here to magnify His name. We are here to ask Him for things that we need in our daily lives. And when we sing songs that are edifying to each other and songs that are to praise His name, I understand there are going to be songs that we don't know. I sang two or three songs that I don't remember ever singing before. So I understand that sometimes I'm going to be more focused on how do I hit that note and all. That happens to me. But when I know these songs and I know the meanings behind them, when I sing them, do I get lost in praising my God? Or am I worried about always hitting notes? Is there a passion that people see, not for the sake of them seeing it, but it's a natural extension of the fact that we are worshiping our God when they come here? Or when they see us in the community, what do they see? beyond a first century Christian living in the 21st century. And so I'm asking you that question because there's got to be something appealing. And while we know that the blood of Jesus Christ should be that appealing factor, there are some people that say, well, I don't see Christ in you. I don't see someone who loves the Lord. I just see someone who is just doing things because, well, that's what the Bible says. That's what you say sound doctrine is. And that's all I see that you're doing it because it said so. But I don't see anything in your life that shows an intimate relationship with our God. So I'm asking you, what is it that they see when they come and worship with us? And so, I guess what I'm asking is do others see a genuine passion? Now, some are going to say, well, Mitch, remember, everything needs to be done decency and in order. Let me ask you this. Would anyone be frowning or sad when singing happy birthday to a birthday child or person? Doesn't seem like that follows the context, does it? 
That would not be decent in order, everyone crying, singing happy birthday. Now, some might, because they're getting older, but think you should be actually happy. Miss Slater, she teaches us that, to be happy and rejoice over the God's years that he's blessed us with. The context tells us, when you're happy, you're not going to be crying. So decency in order is when we are praising our God, when we're serving him, that we do so within that framework. Do they see genuine passion for our God when we worship Him? When we serve Him in our daily lives? Or is this look that we have one of indifference? Like, I don't really care. I'm here because my wife made me. My husband made me. My mom, my dad, grandma, grandpa, next door neighbor made me. I don't really want to be here, but if I don't come, people are going to think differently. Of Whatever the reason is, it's not for the fact that you're stirring up love and good works. It's not for the fact of extolling your Creator who gave you salvation through Jesus Christ. And when you have that understanding, how wonderful then that passion would be in your life. How great is that joy in your heart. And so, walk with me through just four different areas that we're talking about. The first one is singing because naturally, singing should have a certain aspect about it. For instance... Carolyn is almost a year old, and I can't, I'm guessing when she was five, six months old, whenever Nalia or Allie or any of us are singing or she hears songs on the radio, she'd be doing this. Five months old. I don't know if you have enough in you to be taught to do that, but there's something about music, the beat and what have you, that causes your body to start moving. You do that. I know for a fact, and I wasn't in your living rooms yesterday, guys, that if you are an Alabama football fan, you had all kinds of emotions yesterday. If you're a Tennessee Volunteers fan, you had all kinds of emotions yesterday. I didn't have that many emotions because I'm a Cornhusker. <laughs> I know that's fighting words around here because <laughs> you're not for Tennessee, you're not for, not for Auburn. But you should get the point. When those teams are struggling, you could throw the remote at the TV set. Emotions. When they come from behind and they have victory, you send a text message to someone, and you know, roll tide. You do that. You're passionate, that's why. Well, when we're singing songs praising our God, how is it that we would praise Him? I believe contextually. I believe what's decency and in order is with passion. If it's a song that is joyous, sing it with joy. If there is a song that is sad, it brings tears of sadness. It evokes proper emotion. We're not talking about charismatics and swaying our hands in the air and, and what have you, but I'm telling you, the heart moves based on context. I cannot imagine for us that if there is someone who is so dear and so close to us, that when we pray for them, we don't pray without those emotions. Because of the closeness that they have. So when we're singing these songs, and these are songs that I'm just going to be very general. Songs that we all know. Not songs that you might be learning for the first time. How would you sing that song? Naturally, the scriptures make it clear for us in how we sing. I want you to look at James 5 verse 13. We, we know, most of us know Ephesians 5 verse 18 and 19. In Ephesians 5, telling us, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be 
filled with the Spirit. And the very first thing he says, being filled with the Spirit, giving thanks to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's an emotion attached to the way we go about praising our God. Well, James says in James chapter 5, if anyone among you is sick, what should you do? Sing? Woo! Yeah, great. Person sick. I mean, that just doesn't fit the context. What you do is you call the doctor. Or in this case, you call for the elders that they may pray with and for this brother or sister in Christ. Well, what else does he say in verse 13? He says in this passage, is anyone cheerful? If you're happy, let him sing psalms. That's what you do when you're happy. You praise God. I'm going to say this as lovingly as possible. A lot of our world creeps into our lives and what we want to do is sing songs that just extol the virtues of this world. But I think when we're happy, we should always be using it to the glory of God. I didn't always think that way. To me, just happy, I would just sing whatever song. And it's not to say that singing songs from this world in and of itself is wrong. That's not my point. My point is, James is saying, when you're happy, sing psalms. What were the psalms for? But to lift up the name of God. To magnify Him. To edify us who belong in the Lord into His ways. Contextually, when you sing these psalms when you're happy, you'll have a cheerful face. Brethren, I may not know what your heart looks like, but I can tell you, sometimes I'm wondering from the external, are you really cheerful? I've sang songs with brothers and sisters in Christ that it's a very upbeat, very up-tempo type of a song and we're praising God and it's just as slow as molasses. And the emotions seem to follow suit with that temple. If you're filled with the Spirit, God's giving you emotions. Remember I asked you to stay at Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18? The reason why I wanted you there to begin with was because when you go through verses 12 through 18 in Philippians 2, there's a range of emotions that is given there. All throughout that verse of how those emotions would affect him. That's why the apostle said he rejoiced with them. Because of the things that took place in his life. All because of the Lord. It's those range of emotions that come through in the way that we are with one another. And so when it comes to our singing unto the Lord, do we sound disinterested? If you sound this way, it may be because we are disinterested. I can't imagine singing a song and it sounds just so humdrum, and yet inside we're just full of joy. I just, it just doesn't match. What do we sound like? I'm not a song leader. I don't even pretend to be one. <laughs> but I can guarantee you, these points are very helpful for song leaders. And those who lead, not get up and start songs, but lead songs, know what I'm saying. Lead. And the whole purpose of leading 
the songs is so that every one of us follows after you. And that's our responsibility for us to do a good job following you as leaders, those of us who are leaders in, in the singing. But the, the point of this is that when there's a song that's upbeat, sing it that way. The tempo matters. There's a reason for that tempo. Jimmy is teaching me pitch. It matters. I know that for me, if I don't have the right pitch, I have a hard time finding and I'm so focused on that rather than the song. And finally, I'm giving up. I'm going to a different part so I can sing what I understand to sing. But the point is, when you have good song leading, everything is taken care of because of that great leadership. And we just sing songs praising God. Now, I know you can sing songs without a great song leader. And I know you can sing with your heart unto the Lord without a great song leader. I understand that. Saying that if you have a song leader, lead, brethren. Lead us. So that it helps us from that mechanical standpoint so we can focus more on our praising God. That emotional aspect of our worship. Not just the conscience, if you will, the mind. And lead with passion. There are brethren that get together every year. It's in North Carolina someplace. I, I don't know where it is. Julian, Malia, they know. And some of y'all might have been there. It's called Thousand Voices. Brethren come around typically from the southeast. And I believe it's songs that brothers and sisters in Christ have written and have composed, if you will, in such a manner. And I remember um, this one song. It's called Let Us Worship. And it, it's very upbeat. Uh, for some brethren, it's almost borderline too charismatic because it's so upbeat. But I know that song leader, as he was leading, he sang that song, led that song with all his heart. And everyone followed suit. And it was a joyous song, praising God, worshiping the Father. That's what we need to do in glorifying His wonderful name. Sing it with passion. And when we do so, then when we're going to sing, we'll sing with the Spirit in addition to the understanding. And that, that's exactly what Paul said when he says, I will sing with the understanding and I'll sing with the Spirit. Well, how about our, our prayers? There are times when it sounds like we, we might sound not angry with God, but it, there's some kind of a tone that I don't know if I can put my finger on it, but there's no passion. And there are times when, you know, whenever you disagree with someone, do you at times get your voice raising just a little bit higher? The blood starts to kind of simmer a little bit because you're involved. You're passionate about what you believe and what you're convicted about. Or that when you are excited about something and you're sharing that excitement, doesn't it not come across that you're excited about whatever you're excited about? But when we pray to our God, does that come across? We should be passionate in our prayer. It's not for show. Everything we're doing is because we are intimately conversing with our Father in heaven. But I can tell you there are those, whether it be brothers and sisters in Christ or those visiting, particularly the first time they visit, do they sense that? That there is a genuine conversation with God. I don't know if the men that were with us yesterday morning when we were at Shoney's, guys that were at the breakfast for our Bible study, but there was a room across from where I was sitting. And there, there were some men having a Bible study of their own. And when they got done, they were praying. Of course, their room was closed. I couldn't hear a thing. But once in a while, I'd peek and 
they'd all be kneeling on the ground. And five minutes into our Bible study, they're still leaning on their ground. Ten minutes later, they're still kneeling on the ground. Fifteen minutes later, they're still kneeling on the ground, praying to God. I don't know what they're praying about. But whatever they're praying about, I appreciated the demeanor, if you will, that they had. Every one of them. One of the men, his face was face down, but there was an expression, just a deep reverence. I don't know if he knew anyone would even see him. That's the kind of passion I'm talking about. Do we have that? Does it reflect the joy of going to God in prayer? Do we have that? Look at 1 Corinthians 14. This is the passage that I was just alluding to uh, recently about the kind of songs that we would have in addition to the prayers. It says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 15, what is the conclusion then in regarding all these gifts and what have you? I will pray with the Spirit and I'll pray with the understanding. In other words, I'm not just praying with understanding of what I'm saying, and of course in the context of these spiritual gifts, but I'm extrapolating the principle. It's not just words that you're saying to God. It's the emotions behind those words. Are they consistent? I'll pray with the Spirit and the understanding. They're both there. The mind and the emotion. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding. Does it reflect the Spirit? Are we genuinely happy going to our God in prayer? Are we genuinely sorrow that, brethren, we are the ones responsible for putting our Savior on the cross? Are we genuinely in need, asking God for things that we cannot attain ourselves and we need Him? Do we reflect that? Do we pour out our hearts? I can tell you right now that there are times when I'm at a loss for how I can do certain things. And in the meantime, I've been trying my very best to accomplish whatever that thing is. And I finally break down. And I'll get to my knees and I'll ask God. But by then, I'm so broken down and so humbled, I cannot help but cry out to God for help. Do you pour out your heart? Do you rend your heart? You know, Joel was talking about to his brethren, saying, don't rend your garments if you don't really mean it. Rather, rend your heart, he said. And if you look at Luke chapter 18, look at the contrast between this Pharisee and this tax collector. And the Pharisee who praised to God, thanking him that he was not like that sinner next to him. And you look at the contrast with that tax collector who could not look upward to his Father in heaven. All he could do was face down and beat his breast. Was he doing it for show? Because Jesus used him as an example. Jesus used an example of two individuals praying the one who was humbled. But was there emotion in his prayer to God? Was there passion about his stand before his God? 
Jesus said that that man, that tax collector, that publican, he was the one who went away justified. God would hear his prayers. There was a passion in his prayer because there was a genuine emotion of what he felt regarding his sins. Do we have that, brethren? How about God's word? I was, I was glad that we were led in song. You know, give me the Bible. I think Jonathan had just led us in a song that we would be passionate about his word. Are we? I love, I love talking about the word of God. I remember no sooner than becoming a Christian. Can you imagine? 20 years old. Big eagle. And here's a guy with 30 pounds of books on his back working for Southwestern, skipping, mind you. 20-year-old skipping just doesn't seem right for a guy. On the sidewalk with these books, I was on cloud nine. I knew nothing of God's Word, zero, other than what you needed to do to become a Christian, and I was talking to people on the sidewalk all about the Lord. I wanted to learn about my God. I wanted to know, and there were brothers and sisters in Christ particularly a husband and a wife, who were so zealous about God's Word and teaching me God's Word, they were willing to start their night with me at about 11 p.m. That's after I got home, called my stats in, had dinner, and I was ready to sit down with them to be taught the Word of God. And from 11 at night to 12 to 1 in the morning, six nights a week, we studied the Word of God. Are you passionate about it? Does God's Word have such a great desire? You're like that newborn babe, if you will, that desires that pure milk of the Word. That's what it should be like. Is God's Word so wonderful to you? It's like that song in Psalm 19, verse 10, in the chorus that we sing. That God's Word is so wonderful. His commandments, His laws are so wonderful. It's sweeter than the honey and its honeycomb. Do we really believe that or are we just singing words because it's a beautiful song and the song leader chose it we've got to sing it. Do we really believe that? Is God's Word so wonderful, brethren, that we actually spend time in it? Or does it collect dust until Wednesday or until Sunday? Do we view it as nourishment to our soul? Is God's Word that way? Do we passionately feed on it? As I had mentioned, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word. Do we do that, brethren? Can we actually say, like Jesus did to Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's my nourishment. Do we have that passion for God's Word? And the last thing is, do we search it? Do we search it out like the Bereans did in Acts 17? Is that what we do? Or, brethren, do we just come and, and do like this punch plot type mentality? I've, I've got to put in my time to services. And when I've done that, I've done well. One of the things that I've heard, and I might have said this when I was visiting here, when Julie and I and the kids were visiting here, I've actually heard this said before. That brother, that sister's a faithful Christian. You know how I know? 
They're at every church service. But that somehow equates to faithfulness. And they never open up the Word, other than at the building. And they never give themselves in their daily walk. And they never have that passion about serving the Lord, but they're there at every service. I, I want to be very lovingly contradict that is faithfulness. I think that's a wonderful thing that you come and worship God. But it's got to be there because you have a genuine heart's desire to worship Him, to glorify Him. That's why we're here, to magnify His name. Not to have some checklist that says, I'm faithful. Passion. That's what you need. When you have that, it affects every aspect of your worship. And brethren, when it's consistent in this building and out of this building, it's going to show. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice. Imagine the emotional range of what it was like to give up your only son, like Abraham was willing. I can only imagine the emotions Abraham went through. The emotions that our God went through giving up His Son for us. That's genuine service. And that word service in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 is the very word He used to worship. Same word. It just translated service. Do we have it for the simple and pure ministry? Remember in last week's sermon that we were talking about, Jesus had that great commission. And His commission was to go into all the world. Well, Follow back just a few chapters in chapter 9, verses 35 and, and through 38, when he looked all throughout Jerusalem and, and he cried. Because he had compassion upon all the lost as he looked over that city. They were without a shepherd. Do we have that same passion when we look out into the community? We don't see someone deserving of death. We see someone in need of salvation. What a different way of looking at that same individual. What kind of passion do you have about the gospel and reaching it to the lost? What kind of passion do you have for each other? I once heard a brother in Christ in one of the first places I was preaching close to 20 years ago. And I said, brethren, do you love each other? And one of them said, yeah, I love my brother. I said, what does it look like? I can tolerate him. <laughs> that just floored me. That love would equal Jesus. Well, you know, Ephesians 4 says, be long-suffering toward one another. But I don't believe that that was the opinion of the love. Like, I'm, I can put up with him. And that putting up, it was with a big, one of these, with the mean scowl and everything like that. That was his view of love. Do we have a passion to build each other? Not just tolerate each other. It comes across. It comes across. came across to me this morning. I had a phone call from one of my dear sisters in the Lord here. I remember her saying, I love you. I love your family. And you know, we're Christians. We should serve each other. That's exactly the kind of passion I'm talking about. Do we have that kind of passion? If we do then when we come to worship our God, everything falls in place, brethren. We're not just lipping words. 
Anyone can do that. But a genuine heart will sing these songs that we do know from our hearts. Sing it to praise our God, to lift up His name. Just like Malachi said in Malachi chapter 1, Malachi chapter 3, that we would magnify His name to all the nations. That's what we'll do. God gave us emotions, brethren. We get upset, we get happy, we, we get sad. All those very emotions God gave to us, we can use to worship Him. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's contextually accurate. Contextually sound, decent, and orderly. That when you're happy, you sing like you're happy. That when you're sad, the words of the song is sad, that we sing with that very harmonizing emotion. We do that. And I pray that when visitors come and see us, that's what they see. They see those who proclaim to be Christians as passionate for God. 